0: from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. I'm Shail Khan, and this is Catalyst.
1: We can, we can ridicule these politicians for making such an incredible octopus of, of, of difficult and, and complicated regulations, but I respect them because they're trying to add a whole way of regulating and incentivizing an entire supply chain. And that's incredibly hard to do. That devil
0: always hiding in the details. I'm Shale Khan. I invest in revolutionary climate technologies at Energy Impact Partners. Welcome. Ah, so we're entering the brief but wondrous era of extremely wonky, extremely important Treasury guidance. It's been almost nine months since the Inflation Reduction Act passed in the United States, and multiple industries have been waiting with bated breath to learn how the Treasury Department will interpret a number of key clauses in the bill. There are lots of important nuances. We've talked before about another one, which is how Treasury will interpret the life cycle emissions calculations for hydrogen production. But now we have the first big piece of guidance, I would say, which is the battery sourcing rules. One of the clearest impacts of the IRA has been to supercharge the build-out of a domestic supply chain for EV batteries. It's also been one of the most controversial globally, with a huge public outcry from leaders in Europe and Asia, as well as some automakers. And last week, Treasury finally released draft guidance of their interpretation of those rules. So time to dig in. And of course, our chief digger is Sam Jaffe, who is the VP of battery storage solutions at eSource and my personal battery supply chain whisperer. Here's Sam. Sam, welcome back to Catalyst.
1: Thank you very much, Shale.
0: Good to be here. So we're recording this in the afternoon of the day that Treasury released its guidance, initial guidance, final guidance. What is
1: this? Uh, final initial guidance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Treasury released its final initial partway done, totally done, baked and halfway baked guidance on how to qualify for the EV tax credits that were in the Inflation Reduction Act. And I want to talk through the details of it and the ramifications of it. But first, let's bring ourselves up to to the, the present. So you and I chatted on this podcast some months back in the wake of the Inflation Reduction Act passing when where the bill had set all these rules for qualifying for up to a $7,500 tax credit for electric vehicles and complex set of rules. But despite the complexity of those rules, I think you at the time, and this was soon after the bill passed, you, you were pretty bullish on the impacts that it would have on the domestic supply chain in the United States for battery, everything from battery minerals to battery manufacturing. So- Bring me up to speed from then to
1: now. What
0: have we seen happen?
1: So we've had a lot of activity. On the uh, guidance per- perspective, we've had the Treasury Department issue a white paper in December that, that talked about this concept of constituent materials. So it's kind of an interim step between strategic minerals, which is one half of the, of the tax of the EV tax credit and component battery components, which is the other half of the EV tax credit. And in between, there's this constituent materials. And they said, we don't know how we're going to handle this. We'll let you know by the end of March. And then this morning, they issued their full guidance on how constituent materials will be will be qualified. Um, so the, that's, that's on the, uh, the update and guidance of, of the IRA. Um, in terms of, of, of the actual progress of building out a supply chain in North America, there's been enormous amount of activity. And I still think there's going to be another uh, big uh, jump in activity over the next six months with this guidance. So uh, among that is the announcements of several large cathode production plants, most of which are going to be located in Canada. Um, We have the Tesla uh, factory in Mexico that was announced, and a new gigafactory and car factory that will be built in Mexico. Um, we have the CATL Ford battery plant. Uh, it's it's not it's it's really a Ford battery plant with CATL uh, technology guidance. But um, that that was announced. That's going to be a 30 gigawatt hour plant making LFP batteries. Um, and then just before this morning. Uh, so, uh late afternoon yesterday, news broke that it looks like Tesla and CATL also are talking about building a Texas-based LFP uh battery plant. Um, so so the the announcements have just just been coming fast and furious throughout the entire supply chain. And
0: can we attribute that basically as a direct result of the IRA? Do you think this any of those plants would have I mean, presumably if you're announcing a plant like it's been in the works. A bit longer or is it possible that you know folks woke up to the ira nine, 10 months ago and said okay like hyperspeed we need to cite and announce a new battery manufacturing plant
1: i think that companies throughout the supply chain have been planning on building plants regardless um but the 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 location of those plants in north america and free trade partner countries is what's new and And we've actually seen a shift in some cases a shift of battery plants that were planned for Europe where they said we're gonna we're gonna stop developing this and instead turn to building a plant in the us Freyer did that Northvolt did that, and a couple others have and Volkswagen also talked about doing that so I think we could pretty safely say then that
0: the indications over the the nine months since the bill passed are that it was sort of working as intended, right? Because the point of having all these domestic content provisions in the tax credit was to attract manufacturing to the U.S. predominantly, right? So it seems to have been working, basically.
1: It seems to have been working, um, and not just in building car factories, which I think probably would have been happening anyway. But also in building battery factories and the entire supply chain along there, it it definitely is is happening, and and it probably wouldn't be happening. A, a very small proportion of this would be happening without the IRA. So let's talk about
0: the controversy that that caused then, and in sort of two categories. One is with our geopolitical allies in other countries who have generally not been super excited about all these domestic content. Provisions. And the second being even domestically, where as the guidance has started to come out, um, there's been sort of an an internal fight in the United States about are we taking this, the domestic content uh, intent of the legislation seriously enough? So, can you kind of walk me through the like how you think about all the noisy fighting that has taken place about this?
1: Yeah, I think internationally, there's certainly been a big uh, disagreement from coming, especially from Europe and Japan, from Western Europe and 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 Eastern Europe, uh, the UK and Japan, which are all of which are strong U.S. allies, but do not have free trade treaties. And um, interestingly, uh, Biden slipped in just. Just just before the uh, the, the shot clock uh, went away, he slipped in a Japan battery materials free trade agreement through executive order, um, and we, we can come back to that because I think there's significance in that. But but that clearly there there are international disputes between allies that have to be um, that are that are going to be uh, handled and and probably negotiated through. Um, I think that the 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 biggest winners, though, of, of the of the other countries that are involved—Australia and Korea and Chile—are the are by far the biggest winners. They all have free trade agreements with the U.S. and are going to come out looking very good from this. In particular, because of lithium, I assume. I mean,
0: Australia and Chile are where Chile is where most of the lithium uh, in brines comes from. Australia is where most of the lithium in hard rock comes from. So. That's why those two, and then
1: Korea, because companies like LG Chem make batteries. Make batteries, and and also there's quite a, bit, a, a big entire battery supply chain in Korea also. Nothing compared to what's in China, but it, it, it is significant too. All
0: right, so I think we'll come back to that because the significance of
1: um, what the
0: treasury guidance today Im- is impacted by these countries and what exists in these countries. Before we get to that, maybe let's just do a quick refresher. Um, can you just walk through the two components of the EV tax credit and what it takes at the
1: high level from the bill to comply with each? Sure. So there are two parts to the EV tax credit. One is battery components, and one is strategic minerals. Strategic minerals is are the minerals that are extracted from the ground and then processed into uh, battery materials. The battery components are the finished electrolyte, where the electrolyte uh, slurry is put onto the foil, which happens at the battery factory, as well as the separator, the electrolyte, the foils themselves. And um, in in the case of the strategic minerals, there is a percentage requirement of the total value of all the strategic minerals that must come from the U.S. or free trade partner countries. And that percent starts at, for for strategic minerals, it starts this year at 40% of the value, has to come from the U.S. or free trade partner countries, and that goes up 10% a year till eventually you get to 80% requirement. Um, For the components portion, uh, it's starting at 50% this year, has to be made in North America, and it goes up 10% a year until eventually 100%. So, in other words, you have to make the battery cell itself has to be manufactured in North America, U.S., Mexico, or Canada, Um, and the minerals have to come from the U.S. or free trade partner countries. Um, Now, interestingly, there's a big gap. There's a big hole in the donut there between minerals and components, And that's what today's guidance really laid out was they're they're calling us constituent materials. So in other words, you take the lithium itself that's been processed into, let's say, lithium hydroxide, and you turn it into, you you combine that with the nickel and and the cobalt um, into a cathode active material. And that's the powder that's sent to the battery factory in North America. Um, Now, according to this guidance, those constituent materials Essentially, fall under the category of strategic minerals. The cathode material can be made in a free trade partner uh, country and then shipped to the U.S. and it will count as strategic uh, th- towards that strategic mineral number. Right. So that's that's the crux,
0: I think, of where the most of the debate has been around this guidance. So before we get to it, critical minerals side of this always was U.S. or free trade agreement countries. Within the list of free trade agreement countries includes the countries that happen to produce the most, at least lithium, which is Chile and Australia. Um, So that makes lithium sourcing, all else equal, relatively easy, right? Right. not necessarily so for nickel, cobalt, manganese, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where the supply chains are a little bit different. But from a qualification perspective and from a, again, it comes down to sort of the portion of the total value of those critical minerals that comes from a U.S. or free trade agreement country, like is lithium a big enough piece of the stack that, you know, if you source your lithium from a, US, a free trade agreement country, plus maybe some of your copper or something like that? then you're in good shape or do you really need to go like mineral by mineral and say, okay, every, you know, every one of these or, you know, most of these big ones we need to get from one of these countries.
1: So, so two things. One is um, you're talking about the lithium from, from the ground or the water in the ground, which is coming from Chile and Australia. Um, However, in the case of Australia, they dig up the, the rock called spodumene and then they ship it to China to be processed into, Lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate, and that processing uh, part of the supply chain is actually done outside of a free trade partner uh, country. Um, so that that raises complexities. Um, in terms of your, your question about the value of the lithium as a pr- pr- proportion of overall, it, no, that's that's a pretty small portion. The, by far, the biggest uh, for most of these battery, most of these electric vehicle batteries, uh, of all of the minerals, is going to be nickel. Um, and then lithium and cobalt probably fall in second, but, but the, the, the single biggest, uh, number to, to shoot for is the, the nickel itself. And that's a problem because most nickel is coming from Indonesia, which is not a free trade partner country. Okay. So then on balance, critical minerals
0: component here, sort of difficult to qualify for, um, how about the, let's flip to the other side for a second, then we'll talk about this in-betweener category, but how hard are we learning the battery components part is to, to qualify for? In this case, again, not free trade agreement countries, so you need to be making the battery itself, uh, or at least the battery components in North America, which presumably is why we've seen all these announcements that you described before about battery manufacturing in North America. Does it look like we are going to have sufficient domestic supply to meet the market in the near term?
1: Um so let's let's define near term. Over the next twelve to twenty-four months, we're still going to be living in a world where most electric vehicles sold are luxury or near luxury vehicles. Whether, whether it's a, a Hummer uh, EV or even a, a you know Kia EV six, it's it's still a fifty thousand plus vehicle. Um and and in that environment. Uh, does seven thousand five hundred dollars really matter that much to those buyers? This is all kind of a a little bit of a thought exercise more than than a, a true economic uh, uh, harbinger. However, we're about to see the launch of a whole lot of mass market vehicles. Um, most a lot of them coming from U.S. manufacturers, both uh, from from Jeep, from Stellantis, and from uh, the the Blazer EV is coming out from GM. Those types of vehicles are going to fall into the $35,000 type uh, purchase price car. And when you get there, $7,500 really matters. So what, what's going to really matter the most is what, when those vehicles come out in 2024 and, and really get pushed to large volume in 2025, what will be the state. And at that point, we're going to have the LG... GM Ultium Joint Venture making over 100 gigawatt hours of batteries throughout this country. Uh, LG Stellantis will be making 35 gigawatt hours. Stellantis Samsung STI will be making another 30. Um, And then Ford will have its CATL LFP plant making another 30 gigawatt hours. So, you know, right there we've got almost 200 or maybe more than 200 gigawatt hours worth of production, which is gonna satisfy 2025 needs. Okay,
0: now let's get into the weeds. So this question you mentioned, constituent materials, Uh, it's wonky, but it has been controversial. I'll read you a quote here from Joe Manchin as of I think a couple of weeks ago. because he has been, so there was this initial treasury guidance, I think in December, as you described, uh, or at least white paper, sorry, the guidance was was just now. And the white paper laid out this middle, middle category of constituent materials, which you can describe in just a moment. The question is, do you classify those constituent materials uh, as critical minerals, or do you classify them as battery components? Turns out that's very controversial. Joe Manchin said, Quote, it seems that Treasury is yet again ignoring the will of Congress by looking to blatantly expand the definition of a critical mineral to include constituent materials. So and he again today after the guidance came out, um, blasted the guidance and said that sort of Biden is ignoring the intent of the law. So it's been controversial there from a political standpoint, but then also, you know, there's been a bunch of reporting of companies who are trying to build domestic cathode manufacturing who've come out strongly with uh, opinions about this as well. So let's talk about what the controversy has been and then where Treasury has landed on it. So what is a constituent material as Treasury has defined it and why do we care which category it goes into?
1: So in the battery supply chain, you go from the mine where you extract the minerals to multiple steps of precursor materials in, in most cases for each one of these minerals. Um, to the battery component itself, to the battery cell, right? And it, it's that middle part of all those precursor materials uh, that that is not has not been clear what where the, where it falls. So, and it's different, a little bit different for each of these materials. So, for instance, with um, with lithium, you start. Let's say you're mining the hard rock in Australia, then you process it into lithium hydroxide. That's the actual st- mineral that's that's defined as a strategic mineral in the law, the, the hydroxide or the carbonate, the lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate. Then you take that and um, you're going you're gonna to add it to a precursor cathode active material or PCAM to turn it into a cathode active material. And that's the actual cathode powder that's going to go to the battery factory. And that PCAM is not a mineral it is a chemical it's a precursor chemical and the when you add the lithium to it and make the the cathode active material that what what is that is that a a strategic mineral or a battery component it's it's not not entirely clear from the law the language of the law itself you go into something like electrolyte and it gets even more complicated because now you have multiple finished chemicals such as the electrolyte salt, like LIPF6 or LIFSI, which goes through multiple precursor steps before that and multiple processing steps before that, only to make a component of a component, the electrolyte. And, and each of those steps, how are you going to make, how are you going sh- to ensure that each of those steps is falling under you know the the whether it's the, the U.S. and free trade partner countries or North America or the U.S. itself, all all of that is is up for for uh, has been up for um, definition. Which finally we we do have that definition. Um, but but it it is. I mean, I, I, you know, we we can we can ridicule these these uh, politicians for making such an incredible octopus of of, of difficult. And, and, complicated regulations. But I, you know, I, I, I respect them because they're trying to add a whole way of regulating and incentivizing an entire supply chain. And that's incredibly hard to do. Um, So I think what essentially what the guidance said was constituent materials, which is going to be any of these precursor steps up to the, the battery component itself essentially falls under strategic minerals as in the strategic minerals qualification. Um, Now they added this 50% rule, which says at each step of processing from, from extraction to each of the processing steps that this, whatever the material you're talking about goes through, um, you 50% of the value has to have been added by a a free trade partner country or in the U S itself. So, in other words, if you make the, if, if the lithium is mined in Australia, that counts. That's a free trade partner country. If it's processed in China, boom, it doesn't count because we don't have a free trade treaty with China. Um, what if it's processed in Korea? That counts. Um, if, and then if, and let's go away from lithium because that's the easiest one. That's only one step to a tr- shippable material, but something like, um, something like manganese, which has four separate stages of processing and refining. Um, it has to come, the, it has to be mined, and then it has to be processed into electrolytic manganese metal. And in, in, in at least 50% of the value of that has to be done in, in a free trade partner country or the US. Then it has to be turned into manganese sulfate. Again, has to be done in a qualified country. Then it's turned into the then it's combined with the nickel and the cobalt to make the PCAM it has to be done in the right country. Then it's made into the cathode, has to be done in the right country, et cetera. And so you're each each step along the way, you're allowed to add some element of, of you know, so, something can be added from another country that's not qualified. But as long as 50% of the value added to that product in that processing step. Uh, counts then it counts so let's talk about Korea for a minute
0: um because I think this is where a lot of the controversy ultimately lies so imagine that you are a cathode material producer in fact imagine you're somebody like redwood materials who's building cathode manufacturing in the United States if you had been qualified if if cathode ma- active materials which is in this constituent materials category had been considered as a Battery component, then only North American production of cathode materials would count. And clearly, that's a big advantage to you. But instead, because Treasury went the other direction and said constituent materials are more like critical minerals, it is US or free trade agreement countries. And critically, I think Korea is a free trade agreement country. And correct me if I'm wrong, Korea is where a lot of cathode manufacturing or anode material manufacturing takes place. So does that basically remove the incentive for domestic cathode and anode material manufacturing that otherwise would have been there?
1: I wouldn't say it removes it, but it, it, it does place it on a level playing field with building a new plant in Korea or, or with Japan in the case of the new, uh, the new treaty with Japan. Um, so now if you, if you are going to build a new cathode plant, you have to choose, do I do it in North America or do I do it in Japan or Korea? Basically, um, you could do it in any one of those 14 countries that we have free trade agreements with. But there's not much advantage else, elsewhere to do it there. Um, what it does do is existing facilities in Korea and Japan will be able to qualify for for this um, for this agreement, and that's that's a big deal because if they had to rebuild that production capacity in North America in 2023. They wouldn't have been able to do that, and that goes back to the Japan agreement. Um, essentially, my my conspiracy theory is that essentially this was a a bone that was thrown to Tesla because Tesla makes its battery cells in North America with Panasonic. It makes some of its materials in North America. The 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 uh, the electrolyte is made here. The the separator, the cans, some other things are made in North America, but. The cathode, which is by far the most expensive part of the battery, is made in Japan by Sumitomo Metals and Mining. And by 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 sneaking this this free trade agreement in, they allowed Tesla to qualify for the components um, and the. I'm sorry, they allowed them to qualify for the strategic minerals portion of the EV tax credit that otherwise they wouldn't have if Japan wasn't allowed. Okay, so that's where this controversy has been.
0: Clearly the administration or the treasury at least was kind of trying to thread this needle where like on one hand, you know, they the whole point of this legislation is to protect domestic manufacturing and build up a supply chain. On the other hand, there was clearly, they were, they were getting pushed. I think both by our free trade agreement countries, possibly by auto manufacturers, maybe Tesla included on this. And so they were sort of trying to figure out what the right solution was. They fell on this On this side of it and we'll see what happens is this the this is guidance is this what comes next like what's left to be done here
1: so i think that this there is one big hole in in what we don't know which is um foreign entity of concern and they did not give guidance on how they define foreign entity of concern for the purposes of the ev tax credit um, and, and, you know, they, they, they didn't give any guidance. They, they were asked very specifically, is, do you, is a country a foreign entity of concern? Do you have to name the company itself as a foreign entity of concern? And they wouldn't even say that. So there's, they still have another six months or so to to provide that guidance. Um, and that's important because if you are today shipping your spodumine to China to be made into lithium hydroxide, um, then that's if, 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 it, if China does turn out to be a foreign entity of concern, that will, that will disqualify that material for, for the tax credit. So right now, it, it, it is going to be qualified. But as soon as they, they name specifically what they mean by foreign entity of concern, that could change.
0: Is there realistically any possibility China is not a foreign entity of concern? I mean, isn't, again, to the point of the sort of like intent of the law... Feels like pretty clearly a significant portion of the intent of the law is to shut China out of manufacturing of batteries for EVs in the U.S.
1: So the the question is, will they say China overall is the foreign entity of concern, or will they will they have to name specific companies within China as foreign entity of concern, and therefore and then start playing a, a you know a, the game of the, you're in, you're out. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be kind of difficult to 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 do, but it it could you know they could look at companies that have a financial relationship with the central government would be qual- disqualified, and and private companies might not be. We'll see how that works out, or they could just say anything in China is off limits. So
0: putting back on your prognostication hat, then. What is your sense of what this guidance does to the market over the next until until we get final clarity
1: on everything?
0: Everything proceeds apace as it had been. Does it divert any decisions? Accelerate anything?
1: I, I think it definitely um it definitely so. So they're they're the, the the regulators are are walking a fine line between do we make this doable or do we make it too complex and and take into account every little nuance but then it's just too hard to to qualify for these things or do we make, do do we make some broad brush measures and make it doable for the car makers to qualify um, and what I see in, in what they've done is that they've they've Aired toward the side of uh, broad brush measures, and by that I mean, you know, specifically identifying constituent materials as strategic minerals, and and therefore allowing for uh, not just U.S. production or North American production, but but you know, our, 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 an alliance of countries that that is going to be able to make this happen.
0: All right, Sam, as you said, it's an it's
1: an octopus of, I
0: don't remember what you call it, but I like, it's an octopus of complex regulation, but so is the battery industry. And that's why uh, that's why we talk about it so much. Um, thank you for helping to illuminate it once again. All right. Thanks very much, Shale. Sam Jaffe is the vice president of battery storage solutions at eSource. This show is a co-production of PostScript Media and Canary Media. You can head over to canarymedia.com for links to topics on today's show PostScript is supported by Prelude Ventures, a venture capital firm that partners with entrepreneurs to address climate change across a range of sectors, including advanced energy, food and ag, transportation and logistics, advanced materials and manufacturing, and advanced computing. This episode was produced by Camille Stennis and Daniel Waldorf, mixing by Roy Campanella and Sean Marquand, theme song by Sean Marquand. I'm Shale Khan, and this is Catalyst.